Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a community dedicated to helping women connect, learn and lead. One of the most exciting ways we do this is at our annual Future Women Leadership Summit. This year's summit was equally thought-provoking and inspirational, offering plenty of practical take-home advice to accelerate your career. If you couldn't make it, don't worry. I'm bringing you the next best thing to being in the room and sharing the highlights from this year's event. We spend a large chunk of our daylight hours at work, so it's unsurprising that we form close friendships with our colleagues. And with that comes many challenges as a leader. Recorded live at the Future Women Leadership Summit 2023, this panel discussion features Mandanara Bales, co-founder and managing director of Black Card, Zara Seidler, co-founder of The Daily Oz, and Jane Britt, Senior Policy Officer at People with Disabilities Australia. They highlight the importance of friendships in the workplace and give advice on how to manage those relationships when it can get tricky through career breaks, disputes and promotions. This session is moderated by Ruby Lay Gatfield, Head of Research and Insights at Future Women. We're talking big friendships and how to manage and build workplace friendships. So I'm looking forward to hear what all these wonderful women have to say. First, I have Jane Britt. Jane is a Senior Policy Officer at People with Disabilities Australia and a non-executive director of both Queenslanders with Disability Network and the Holy Cross Services. She's held leadership and committee roles across the disability sector, combining her professional knowledge and lived experience of deaf blindness to provide disability leadership. Next, we have Mandanara Bales. Mandanara is the managing director and co-founder of Black Card. It's a 100% Aboriginal-owned consultancy business providing cultural capability training and consultancy services to help workplaces work effectively with members of the Aboriginal community. Bales comes from a family that has been active in the Aboriginal movement since the 1960s and 70s, and her cultural heritage is connected to the Wanawara and Bunjalung people of her mother's side and the Birigaba and Gunjaloo on her father's side, and she continues to follow in their footsteps as a proud advocate. And finally, we have Zara Seidler. Zara is the co-founder of The Daily Oz, which is a social news service you might know that engages over a quarter of a million young Australians every day. She has a background in independent politics, working as a political advisor and a campaign manager, and in 2022, Zara and her co-founder were listed as Forbes 30 Under 30. All right, so let's kick off leading as a friend. We know it can be challenging, right? And so I really want to explore how to manage those relationships, whether it's in a career break, in a dispute, in a promotion. So let's really get stuck in. And I thought I might start by talking about the value of friendships at work. Because for so many of us, I think our friendships, often our female friendships, a source of that much needed strength in the workplace, sometimes even a source of safety in the workplace. So I want to hear your reflections on why those friendships are so valuable in workplaces. Zara, I might throw to you, you founded and now run The Daily Oz with your best friend, I understand. Some may have warned you against working with a friend, I'm not sure. So tell us about that. What's the benefit of working with your best friend? Starting a business with a best friend is a very unique position to be in. It is the best thing that I ever could have done because it matches the the compassion that comes with a friendship and the kind of reliance that you have on one another with the adventure and the newness of starting your own business. And so for us, uh, we are yin and yang. My business partner is the most out there go-getter who... (laughs) 
I am too, I'll say, but he loves risk-taking. He is not conservative in any kind of financial position that he finds himself in. And then I find myself in the opposite position. And so our friendship and our working relationship is just one of negotiation and compromise. And I think it's a great thing to build a friendship on and also to build a, a business relationship on. Yeah, how cool is that? Mandanara, I watched your interview with Future Women's Maddie Howarth, if any of you know her, to prepare for this session. And she asked you what we can learn from the world's oldest continuing culture. And I really noted that you said relationships and human psychology are our greatest forte. So thinking about that value of relationship building, what to you is the value of friendships at work? I was just going to quickly add, I went into business with my grandmother's sister. She's 87 this year, 88 this year, and going strong. And my aunt Lilla was the first Aboriginal lecturer to be employed at the University of Queensland in 1980 and uh, the first Aboriginal person to serve on the University of Queensland's board or their Senate. So what I'm sharing with you is wisdom and knowledge that's been passed on to me directly from my elders. And I want to acknowledge my elders as well as the Gadigal people so my great aunt, in my language, my Bibina, which is sister of grandmother, Aunt Lilla, Dr. Lilla Watson, she was the first to put pen to paper about Aboriginal terms of reference, which is the opposite to Western terms of reference. So what does identity or country or community or governance or elders, just to name a few, what does that mean in Aboriginal terms? So Aunt Lilla said to me that what is so unique about Aboriginal, I used to say very unique. She's like, my dear, it's just unique. Nothing's very unique. So she corrects me on my grammar, right? I got told by my taxi driver yesterday that I had um, very good English for an Aboriginal person from Redfern. That was triggering. Anyhow, anyhow, Aunt Lilla said, blackfellas, I'm going to use the term blackfellas, so I don't want to offend anyone. If you're uncomfortable with the term, please forgive me. This is how I talk. Blackfellas walk into a room, it's, who's your mom? Where you come from? Straight away. Yeah, I'm from Redford. Yeah, yeah, look, my sister married this fellow. You know that fellow? Yeah, yeah, I know that family. There's this whole thing that happens in a room. Everyone's connecting with people and it's like this dance we do until we find common ground. When we go into an organisation and we're the only Aboriginal person there, it's like, how do we connect with these people? Because nobody's actually asking us, who's our mob and where are we from? So to be honest with you, I've been able to formalise something that we've been doing for tens of thousands of years in the training that we deliver at Black Card to introduce yourself based on Aboriginal terms of reference basically reinforces our humanness. Getting to know people, right, from an Aboriginal perspective on a more human level, like for us, it's, that's, that's like the better way to go rather than what's your title. So to me, I always say when I walk into an organisation, why don't you start with, you know, a conversation about everything but work and start to understand that person? So I'm a mum, I'm an auntie, I'm a sister, I'm a granddaughter, I'm a businesswoman, I'm a podcaster, um, I'm a basketball coach. I, I, there's so much more to me than, oh, managing director of Black Card. So my big thing, one of the things I want to share with you today is to invest in relationships means sharing your true self with people. And you may think if you've ever worked with Aboriginal people, we're oversharers. We tell you everything straight away because that's how we've been brought up. You put it all on the table and then later on you might go, so what do you do? 
<laughs> I know your mob, I know your family, I know where you come from, I know everything about you, but I have no idea what you do. So, yeah, like invest in relationships and be prepared when someone's sharing their story with you, be prepared. It's like an invitation to share back. You know, the professional and the personal, it's like blackfellas, there's no, there's no difference. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, yeah. Jane, I want to pick up on, we know women face this likability penalty. We're under greater pressure and social conditioning to be liked at work. And I wonder whether you had thoughts on, you know, how this plays into our friendships at work and whether, you know, we're under this pressure to be a friend first and a manager second or whether we can be both. Yeah, thank you very much for the question. And I think that I wanted to talk about my very first professional friendship that I made. I was entering a graduate program at an organisation and absolutely terrified about the fact that I was walking in with a cane. I knew the stories about workplace discrimination, about these unconscious bias, and sometimes it's very conscious. And I knew that other people had had experiences before me that I was very terrified about having myself. And I had someone who took a chance on me. I was trying to find work in between finishing my tertiary studies and going to the workforce. And because of that one person who also had disability, I had someone else who believed in me, who could make me see that there was someone else there leading in front of me. She was a manager. And I knew in that moment of seeing her the first time in that role that I could do the same thing. And subsequently, we didn't have that friendship at the time of being a manager and the person being managed, but we developed that much later because I knew the value in holding on to someone who was in my team now, someone else who was like me, who had had the same experiences of me, of trying to cut through that bias in the workplace. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think those friendships can really be the bedrock of the rest of your career, right? Helen here. It's nice to hear about the positive impact of having great mates at work. Now, let's learn about how to manage the tough stuff. Okay, so we know the wonderful benefits of having friends at work, but I'm going to cut to some of the risks and challenges and I'm looking over to you, Zara, to ask. So I'm going to put to you a scenario where you do find yourself being suddenly promoted at work and all of a sudden you've gone from being peers to now managing some of your friends at work. And we, I ask this because we get it a lot in future women's mentoring sessions on how do I kind of, I think sometimes it's easier to enter a company and start managing a team you don't know than to kind of transition within a workplace. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how we manage, you know, our friends at work. It is really difficult and I'm not going to pretend I've got a whole lot of experience. I have found myself in the wonderful position that I've got amazing, amazing team that I work with. We're all the same age, which I think is the really interesting thing that there's not, not the kind of expected hierarchy that comes with seniority. We're all the same age and we're all mates. And then sometimes I have to sit and give them performance reviews. And it is the strangest, strangest feeling. And no matter how long I've done it, it doesn't get any less weird. And I think that the only... I guess, advice that I can give when, when that kind of transition happens and when you migrate from the friend to the kind of managerial relationship is to say that you need to bring the same respect that you bring to a friendship and that you have to remain their equal, you have to meet them where they're at and 
kind of bring that same compassion and all those same attributes that you bring to a friendship to that working relationship because there is a reason that you have struck up this friendship. There is a reason that you have common ground uh, in one way or another and bringing that to a working relationship can actually, again, make it a really nuanced, really depth-ridden relationship in a way that sometimes working relationships aren't. And so I think that it is, if nothing else, a really positive thing that can enrich your working relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And if that trust is there and they know it's not a personal dig necessarily, but... No, and it's, I mean, I think that it is just that everyone knows that when you're in a workplace, you're there to do a job. But if you can bring that human element to it, that it just works better for everyone, I reckon. Absolutely. Mandanara, how about if you work a lot with friends and family, I understand, and you've got, is it 21 staff at Black Card, 19 of them... Aboriginal women who you know, what happens when someone's underperforming? Oh my goodness, we just had our strategic planning. Two days, last week for two days, a whole, there was 11 core that came together. And it was interesting, by the end of it, I was ready to literally sell my business. Know the feeling. I've never felt like that before. I was like, you are entitled, like my sister. This is not your business. And my other friend was like, well, it's kind of like her business just as much as yours. But I was completely taken back because I've employed people that are close to me that I trust and that I know would do a really good job. Delivering anti-racism training is not easy. And it's not easy to share your story, which could be traumatising or triggering. So it's not for everyone. Come long story short. I've realised now that um, I've been running my business as a charity, not as a business. And it was the facilitator that made me come to that realisation that everyone you've employed, it's because, oh, she's got no job. Oh, and his wife is unemployed. And oh, yes, her daughter needs, and your sister's son. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I want to say one thing, though. I feel so privileged that I've been able to offer my family and my community a job in a culturally safe environment where they can bring their full selves to work and draw strength from sharing the tens of thousands of years of our culture and our history. It's not all negative. So I draw strength from that. But now, it's only been a week. I'm now a CEO. I literally day two came back from the retreat, crossed out. So Mara's my nickname. And I've become Mandanara first. And then Mara is like, we know each other now. I'm happy to, you know, this, we're on good terms. Anyhow, Mara at the retreat, day two, turned it around. I was CEO. And I said to my sister, I'm not your sister from nine to five. My best friend, Cassie, manages our tours, 25 years. I'm not your best friend. The godmother of my daughter just went on and on and on. All the relationships in the room. I'm now the CEO and I'm going to lead this organisation as a CEO. And for one week, I've actually felt like a CEO and not just like one of the employees. It's going to be a long, hard journey for me to really separate myself, but I'm working on it. Congrats to you. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to have the same friendships with my team over the next couple of months. But I'm, yeah, I'm you'll ready have to share to, your learning. I'm ready to do it. <laughs> Did you have anything you wanted to add, Jane, in terms of like you've got a team member who's a friend, they're underperforming. What are you doing? Yes, it's a really challenging conversation to navigate. What I do at the outset is say that we're having a conversation now that is not personal, it's professional. And I think it's always about 
setting up those boundaries when you first start and saying that we are going to have times we won't agree with each other. We'll have times I have to make strategic decisions that you won't agree with, but they're for the organisation. And as long as you can always maintain that open communication with the other person, I think you can get through it. I know it's a very fraught thing to work directly with someone you're very close to, but I personally believe we spend so many hours of our week in the workplace. We spend decades of our life in the workplace. Why not come through that entire experience without friends? Absolutely. It's a third of our working lives, I think they say. Yeah. How about clicks? What's the risk of clicks, Sarah? Can we talk about that? Because I think it's so easy for us to want to feel like we belong and we kind of are blind to the fact that we're actually forming these friendship circles that are maybe a bit exclusive in the workplace. And how do we kind of balance that want for friends and you want to get drinks after work or whatever that might be without it becoming exclusive? It's a great question. I think that I'm lucky that in my example, we are small enough that we all want to hang out together all the time. But obviously that's not a reality for for different workplaces. And I think that it's about if you do a bit of an internal survey about who it is you're gravitating towards, why it is you're gravitating towards them, it might at the time feel like a superficial effort to go beyond those immediate circles that you formed and actually make sure that you are consciously engaging outside of that because we will all slip into our subconscious bias and our unconscious bias, but to be able to actively navigate beyond that for the purpose of making sure those clicks don't emerge because they emerge around certain clusters and for certain reasons. And I think that it's on you to continue to navigate beyond that and to uh, make sure that you are making an active effort to not do that. Absolutely. Jane, you're nodding. Have you seen clicks at work? Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And I've seen it work really well if you set that up and set up that expectation before you even walk into the room. I think that, you know, something I just wanted to backpedal and say about, you know, this in the context of disability employment is that, well, for a lot of people with disability, the first hurdle is to actually get employed. The unemployment rate for people with disability has remained almost stagnant for the last decade. It's around 10%. I know yesterday we heard that the unemployment rate for the general population has dropped down as far as 3.5% in the last few years. So it's a really damning statistic that sort of speaks to that unconscious bias that is prevalent across workplaces and something that we have to consciously work towards dispelling and getting past. Very sobering statistics, isn't it? We've got a few minutes left. I think I might whip around to everyone and ask your number one or number three top tips for creating a culture at work that really does build, you've built success, clearly such like you all love to hang out, you're all mates at work. How do you create that culture in a business that means that you've got these healthy friendships forming that are actually productive and, and not exclusive? Don't build them around the work that you're doing. We work in news. A lot of it is really dark. A lot of it is really grim. And so we ensure that when we are trying to create a culture, it's not around just rewarding good work or just celebrating the wins at work. It's actually about celebrating the people that work with you, the the teamwork that emerges in that environment and just understanding, recognising these people come to work every day but they are so much more than that and how can we really bring up and elevate those voices and those successes beyond just the workplace kind of environment. I love that. Mandanara, top tips. Wow, I live just outside of Noosa place called Mount Coolum. It's beautiful country. 
between Maroochydore and Noosa. So I take my team to Pepper's Resort. I love it because it's in the Noosa National Parks. So I take my team there with their family, their kids, their husbands and their wives and I do a retreat twice a year to bring everyone together but we don't do no work. So that's strategic planning. We did, it was the first time we actually came together and worked. Every other time I've purposely brought people together to connect with each other and build relationships. It cost me a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money but... I have most of the people that, you know, I started the company 10 years ago and about 80% have been with me for five years or more. So I don't have a high turnover. The only high turnover I have is EAs. <laughs> Just let you know I've had three. <laughs> Looking for another one. Okay, good to know. Anyone? <laughs> Jane? Yeah, I think it's about capitalising on the person's strengths and weaknesses, having that conversation. What do you love to do? What are the things you want to learn? Um, why did you come into this workplace? What about this workplace at the moment is making you not feel like you're included in, in this workplace? Um, and I, I always ask my teams for really harsh feedback. I, I don't want to hear when things are going well. You know, that, that's great. It's nice and validating feedback to hear. I want to know when things need to be improved and how to best fix things for you to feel comfortable in this workspace. What a great word to end on. Thank you so much. Everyone give out a round of applause to our wonderful panellists. Thank you, Zara, Mandanara and Jane. Wonderful insights. Thanks again to our panellists, Mandanara Bales, Zara Seidler, Jane Britt and moderator Ruby Leigh-Gatfield. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell and audio imaging by Nat Marshall.